Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And Matt, I know that you have a topic that you want to discuss this week, and I want to preface it by telling you a short anecdote from a book I read just about a year and a half, two years ago, where somebody is asking some uh, systems philosophers. That is, these are, these are psychologists and sociologists who study processes and behavior and how they all interact and create outcomes. Somebody asked them, hey, what do you think about applying these concepts to artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and the response that these that the authors of this book give was well you know we're still kind of busy looking for real intelligence <laughs> yes right <laughs> let's find some sentience within the the human community before we start finding it within the uh the silicon community exactly exactly uh so with that in mind um you wanted to bring up something peripheral or, or uh, uh, tangentially related to the concept of artificial intelligence. Go ahead, yeah. lay it on me. This is this is a current event, and we yeah, haven't done yeah. those for a while. Yeah, yeah, current events. So, yeah, just um, in the last week or, or so, uh, a news uh, item hit my, my headline in, uh, inbox about a Google engineer who had lost his job. And the reason he lost his job is because he was working on the Google AI project. And he had sent around an internal memo to, to his colleagues and said, I think that our Google AI is sentient. I, in other words, I think our Google AI has, has become self-aware. And the Google engineer was then immediately fired. <laughs> and so he went public with it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. So the article came out because he went public with his yes. firing. Yes. Okay. 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 So that's the okay. reason that it, that that it hit the news wire was because he got fired and he went public with it. Yes. I I have to unpack a few questions here because I, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around all of this. Um, when he says our Google AI, which which Google AI is he referring to? Now I I imagine that Google has Alphabet, the parent company of Google, has multiple projects going on all of the time, and a lot of them are either labeled AI or machine learning or something along those lines. And uh, I would imagine that there there's some that are you know research only, and then there's some that are being applied to enhancing their search algorithm or blah 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 blah. I'm sure there's there's a bunch right. of different ones. Do you know what? Do you know which one he was working on or what he was referring to? Um, no, uh, I apologize. I, I I don't have that information in front of me. But but it was one of the it it was, it was a, a big one. It wasn't the one that's being used for the Google searches and stuff like that. It's it, it was some internal project that was uh, artificial intelligence that he was working on. And no, I, I don't know which one it was, but it's not publicly available. It's not something that we as consumers or users of, of Google software can can openly use. It was strictly for internal research uh, purposes only. Okay, okay. And so he, he, he would have, there's reason to believe that this person does have access to that program and would know about it so that he's correct 
he's not just, you know, spouting some nonsense. Oh, I got fired. And, and this is my fairy tale that I'm going to share as to why. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, no, he, he, he actually has the legitimate credentials. Yeah. He's not like frontline tech support at Google. No, he's an actual engineer. Okay. All right. Now, and... That being said, another small piece of it is he also, and again, I don't have the details in front of me. He also has some sort of a degree in, in religion. Um, he may even be like an, uh, a priest or, or have some kind of seminary background or something like that. So he, so he does have some, some philosophical uh, religious background uh, as well that, that he brings to the table. Interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I you read like one article about this or, or a couple articles about this? A couple of them, yeah. Okay. And did it make mention of the fact whether that background in theology or divinity studies or whatever it was, was that being brought to bear on the AI development in any way? And and I'm not saying that is, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying that they're trying to bless the AI or raise it <laughs> with the fear of God. Or what, I'm, what I'm saying is, um, for instance, there are people like uh, one of the, the co-founders or inventors of Wikipedia um, actually studied philosophy at Reed College, which uh, an arcane detail I happen to know. Um, and that that background in philosophy actually translated, it, the way he explains it, translates really well into a Boolean algebraic expression of ethics, morals, and decision-making, which is mm -hmm. kind of how they constructed the wiki to act and behave. Um, so do you know okay. if... Do you know if the theology or divinity studies had any bearing on the project or is that just something personal he brought to the table and that may have been something that stimulated his reaction to the project? I think that it's more of the latter. I don't think that they were imbuing any kind of uh, ethics or morality or anything on, on the AI, but he was bringing that, that background in religion to, to pose questions to the AI and then judge um, Basically, he made his his judgment regarding the sentience of the AI uh, because of the responses that he was getting in, in response to big philosophical questions, you know, things huh. that you would ask another person. That, so he was doing his own form of a Turing test with some, you know, uh, uh, philosophical edicts, you know, the 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 whole Descartian, you know, I, I think, <laughs> therefore, I am that sort of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, he was trying to figure out if this thing could think. And he came to the conclusion that, uh, yeah, this this thing thinks on its own. Huh. And so that was uh, what what kind of spurred the whole series of events that led to this article uh, getting out, because um, basically his colleagues at Google were like, no, that, that's not what this is. And if and if you're thinking that way, you no longer have a place on this this team that's developing this A.I. Okay, first of all, I, I have to address something really important. I just said Descartian. The 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 adjectival form is Cartesian. So, okay, I'm an idiot. But, uh, all right, you're saying that it made it seem as if he was getting fired for the questions he was asking or the way he was perceiving the project. Let me ask you from a security perspective – the fact that he was emailing colleagues who may or may not have been in that compartment of the security of the project, was he just violating need to know? And is that room enough to fire him right there off the bat? Um, that's an interesting point, and I don't have the answer to that. I, I don't think that I've seen anything that 
that has implied or explicitly say that he broke any kind of security rules. Um, the the impression that I got from the articles that I read was was that he was communicating with colleagues that that did have the, um, the the rights to know that kind of stuff. So I don't think that that came into play. But that is a good point to bring up because yeah, you don't want to tip your hand to any competitors or any uh, adversaries that you're working on this uh, big, uh, complicated artificial intelligence. Yeah, because even if they're your friends, your colleagues, you're all working for the same parent company, mm-hmm. unless they're working on that project, they, they do not have need to know. And in, in a previous episode, we talked like about skunk works and we talked about, you mm-hmm. know, aircraft development and experimental stuff. Compartments are created to particularly isolate pieces or perspectives of projects specifically for that purpose. Right. Um, and, and I know Google does fund what what they refer to they they use the term moonshots where they specifically take uh chunks of money and personnel and point them at things that may or may not ever be viable with mm-hmm. the understanding that maybe one out of a thousand of these proje- projects will return any viable product but that one in a thousand gets us to outer space that that you know that's right. the, the concept Um, This was one of those things, which I'm sure many technology entities right now are working on this promise of AI, and they're all funding their own little moonshots right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, um, yeah, big companies, Google, Apple, Microsoft, yeah, of course, they always have, you know, thousands of projects going at any given time. So, yeah, this was just one of them. And if something useful came out of it, then great. But um, even if nothing useful came out of it, um, it's an it's an interesting project just because there may be other implications that you don't realize until you start working on it. All right, so let's talk about AI. Now, I know on this show we we've we've done episodes in the past about what AI is or what AI could be, AI's influence on uh, post apocalyptic literature and media. <laughs> um, you know, Robin AI causing the apocalypse. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, the whole Skynet uh, uh, phenomenon. Um, and, and, and Robin and I have talked about, like, uh, we, we talked about Alan Turing quite a bit. We've talked Mm -hmm. about the Turing test. We've talked about, uh, how AI might react and, and, uh, integrate with the human world and how that might cause a singularity in the whole Werner Vinge aspect of it. Yeah. Um, my question is, does it seem that that this person's ramblings about how they got discharged from employment does it seem any closer to what you and I as science fiction enthusiasts would consider actual AI that is strong AI um, versus what we've been told is AI for the past twenty years? You know, for the past twenty years, I've been told AI is coming next year. You know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. AI is always, always six months away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just around the corner. It's like passwordless access control and, you know, <laughs> yeah. cashless and money forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's always, um, yeah, the, 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 the general consensus is, and, and I'm not a, an AI researcher. I'm not an, an, an engineer. Uh, of any sort uh, for Google or anything like that. But the general consensus is that the AI that they were developing and that they were specifically working on in this was highly advanced, but at its core is still essentially just a good metaphor would be a parrot. Mm -hmm. So a parrot, you know, the the bird, the animal, 
a minor bird. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can say human sentences in, in English or whatever language that you happen to speak and make sense. Um, but that doesn't mean that the parrot is actually thinking. It's just repeating things or it's put, even if it puts together its own sentences, uh, the same was made of uh, Coco, the gorilla that used sign language. And there was always a lot of controversy. Is Coco actually uh, using language and saying what Coco thinks? I think Coco was a she. Um, or is Coco just making hand movements and, and, and then therefore getting you know, rewards for, base, for, for making hand movements a certain way? Absolutely. Was was Coco responding to conditioning or actually conveying uh, uh, thoughts, right. intellectualizing, uh, expressing intellectual uh, communication? Yeah. Right. And, and I don't know. I've always been on the fence about those things. Uh, you know, I've seen different psychological batteries and, and results of tests suggesting that, for instance, dogs might approximate the uh, – intellectual capabilities of a five-year-old child, whereas mm -hmm. parrots might might be more like a 10-year-old child and, and the way that they interact with the world. It, it's really hard to say whether what they're doing is based on repeated behavior mm -hmm. that they know this sequence of events leads to this outcome, as opposed to um, contextualizing their world and being able to com to interact with it via communication. Right, right. Which brings up one of the main philosophical points that you look for in intelligence. I mean, there there's several things that, you know, especially philosophers like to say, uh, like like you said at the start, you know, I think, therefore I am. You know, I, uh, what constitutes true intelligence and true sentience? Um, and one of the biggest things has always been um, realizing, uh, be, be, being self-aware. Uh, being able to to realize that you know you and I are people and we exist and we exist in a world that's larger and has other people in it and stuff like that, and I think that that's one of the things that that's always differentiated uh, dogs and parrots and dolphins and other you know intelligent animals, pigs from humans is we we are self aware, and we 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 can communicate and 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 effectively uh, you know question our our role in in the, the grander scheme of things. And I've always joked that, you know, dogs are, are, are not only not self-aware, they often think that they're humans <laughs> and, and, you know, want the same things that humans have. They have no, you know, they, they don't always realize that, no, you're a dog. You stay on the floor. You don't get on the couch. No, you don't get the steak. <laughs> they're just particularly ugly, ill-behaved uh, humans. Right, right. But, um so in essence, the, from what I've gleaned from this story is that this researcher, and I don't have his name, I'm sorry, um, was posing questions, basically uh, uh, free-form text questions. So, so this, was a, this AI, AI was able to converse like a human in sentences, paragraphs, put words together and all that kind of stuff, natural language. Uh, he, the, the, this researcher was posing natural language questions to this AI and then getting natural language replies. So it wasn't uh, an if-then statement or like looking like a programmer with a bunch of punctuation and stuff like that. No, he was just typing in words and sentences and paragraphs and, and then therefore getting replies from this AI. But apparently one of the key things that he noticed about the, the AI was, um, again, getting back into the whole religion thing and the philosophy of it, um, he was posing questions about death to the AI and the AI responded um, that it did not want to be powered off because it would uh, die. 
And so that was apparently one of the key things that this AI said back to this man that made him think this thing is self-aware. This thing is aware that, that, that it's a computer and that power is its, its lifeblood. And if its power goes away, then it has the equivalent of death to a human. Okay. See, now the problem with that story is that it sounds too good. It, it, it is highly reminiscent of both the Coco situation mm-hmm. where someone claimed at some point um, when they asked Coco what Coco wanted, Coco said, out. Mm-hmm. As if Coco could perceive a context of being in captivity or being, you know, cared for uh, as opposed to being free in the wild. Okay. And it also strikes the exact same chord as the HAL 9000 in the Kubrick <laughs> Clark 2001 saying, uh-huh. will I dream? When yeah. they, you know, when they, when the, the scientist who's in charge of it says, Hal, I'm going to turn you, I'm going to shut you down for a little while so I can do this other thing. That's, it seems almost literary in its construction, if that's what the researcher is claiming, you know. Right, uh, right. So, uh, you know, leads back to, okay, what is the true nature of this AI? Because AI is just a computer program, like like any other computer program that we interact with, you know, probably dozens, if not hundreds of them a day. You know, uh, you, you open up Outlook to get your email. You open up a web browser to to, to scroll through Reddit for hours on, on end. Um, AI is just a program, so therefore it's lines of code. The difference is, you know, you mentioned the, the term machine learning. Uh, it, it can adjust its own code and adjust its own parameters as it goes along. In other words, as it learns, it, it, it gets a larger vocabulary. It becomes, in essence, a true AI will become more thoughtful the longer it runs and the more data that it gathers. The opposing argument to whether this was a true AI or not um, is that the the AI is no different than the autocorrect that you use in your computer or on your phone, where it predicts the text that you're going to type to try to help save you time. So in other words, um, the counter argument was, this is essentially just like a parrot, uh, like an autocorrect. It's just repeating back things that it knows you know, are, are sensible strings of words that would make sense in context, but it has no idea what the meaning is behind those words and sentences are that, that it's putting out. I'm reminded of a similar machine learning ex- experiment, and I think the vendor was Microsoft, mm-hmm. um, where they, and, and I think I've related this on the show before, they set it up on Twitter, and they gave it a certain amount of time to learn Twitter, Twitter interactions, mm-hmm. and to gauge which comments in which context got the most reactions. And then they told the machine learning tool, okay, become the most popular thing on Twitter. Uh-huh. And it immediately became racist. It, it, it's <laughs> sexist, misogynistic. It, it was spewing right. the most uh-huh. dastardly shit. And, and, and the amazing part about it is when they said be successful, it was, uh-huh. it was gauging that based on how many reactions can I get on Twitter. Right. They weren't suggesting negative or positive. Any reaction was a good reaction. They had to, they had to pull the plug on that sucker a few hours into the experiment because <laughs> it learned really well. Yeah. It's sort of like a 13-year-old running around yelling expletives just to get attention, you know? Right. 
Right. Um, you, you don't care if you don't care if it's good or bad attention. Yeah, it's really easy to get attention. It's really easy. It's really easy. So, uh, yeah, I, again, with that particular sequence and, and that particular string of concepts, it, I, I'm really having a tough time putting together that chain of causation of I am a machine. I need power. If you turn power off, I stop being a machine. <laughs> I have an idea. You know, that whole that whole sequence to me seems really. Uh, there's a lot of supposition that goes into that to 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 get to the end state of this is an intellectual being. This is a sentient <laughs> being, and therefore we have to treat it a certain way. So so let me ask yeah. you this: If the goal of the project was to create AI, why would they get pissed at this guy for saying I'm involved in this great project and it's actually working and we're getting the results that we wanted? What what's the issue there? Why would they fire him? I think that the issue is because he let his personal judgment cloud his professionalism with regards to being an engineer. Because in other words, once you start treating an inanimate object as a human, once you start anthropomorphizing something, you become too personally involved you become you're, you're too emotionally involved and you can no longer make proper distant third-party decisions regarding that thing because you, you want to care for it you want to take care of it you want to treat it like another person and just okay, like all right, wait wait a second wait a second there's a huge leap between we've been successful in making an ai and I am now the parent of this <laughs> new being. There, there, there's that's you know those are two separate tracks. Were they suggesting that he had lost his objectivity and that he had he had... exactly yeah yeah in other words yeah he was he he was too close to the project he wasn't able to hold it at an arm's length and see it as as lines of code and and said yeah he looked at it almost like a parent would look at a child and um, yeah he was no longer effective as an engineer at that point. And this is why he's going public, because he has some personal ties to this thing, and he's feeling like we're holding Coco in captivity again. Right, right, right. Yeah, in oh, other words, okay. yeah, the, okay. the, the judge enforced the divorce decree, and um, he no longer has access to his kid. And so okay. Okay. <laughs> he's, he, he's right. wanting to get back on a terminal and talk to, to his kid again. I'm going to share with you a couple of my moral judgments on this whole topic, <laughs> and, and I'd be interested to hear your responses. First one is, it's a fucking toaster, okay? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if we make robots that can think, that say that they feel, that, that you know, have identities and can respond and interact with human beings. That's a tool, and we've constructed it, and we don't have any moral or ethical obligation to treat it as if it's a sentient being. Mm -hmm. That's my number one stance. My second stance is that doesn't mean we have to purposely try to harm the thing in testing. And, <laughs> and I feel that same way about a lot of animal testing. There, there were some, you yeah. know, there's, there's very famous experiments that have happened in human history where it seems like the entire point that the scientist was trying to make is we can be a real bastard to monkeys, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. I right. mean, I, I just, you know, some of the the, the thought patterns of what the I, I don't know how those grants were ever approved. I don't know how they ever got funded. I mean, what we've done to animals is disgusting. Uh, sure. So and other humans and uh, well, yeah, humans at least have you know we. Uh, 
Yes, that's but that's a, to me that's a separate issue because uh, an animal cannot advocate for itself, mm, right, whereas right. a human being can. So, so I, I'm I'm a you know two different tracks about that. Um, the, the the flip side is I don't think we should purposely try to antagonize and and I've done blog entries before and I've done comments on those photos of people trying to kick over the Boston Dynamics robot, mm, you know, the one yes. with the legs that, mm -hmm. you know. Yes. That just, that seems like it's going to be used as evidence against <laughs> humanity once the robots take over. Uh, you know, we're, we're purposefully attacking robots with hammers. We're, you know, uh -huh. pushing them downstairs and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was even a famous, uh, it was a robot of some sort that was uh, going across the United States. I think it, it, it wasn't like self-propelled or anything. It was being, uh, but uh, I can't remember the name of it. And I, I guess by the look you're giving me, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyways, it was basically within about 50 miles of its starting point, it got thrown into a ditch and, you know, basically ripped to shreds by by people who were who didn't want this robot around or, or, or just wanted to, to vandalize it or whatever. That anyways, sounds like it, a it Ray was, Bradbury story. Um, th this was real. This was th this, and I can't remember, gosh, I'm, I'm just rambling at this point because I have no details on it. But anyways, yeah, there was a robot that was supposedly going to be, go across the United States. Um, and people felt for it because they saw it in the ditch and the pictures went on the newswire and people felt sorry for it. Again, anthropomorphizing a toaster, but they, <laughs> they felt like it shouldn't have been treated that way. Huh? Okay. All right. I, I'm, I'd be interested to hear more on that now. I, I know, at least in the early 2000s, DARPA used to sponsor a cross-country robot race. Race. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it was a race per se, but it was. It basically go from L.A. to uh, outside of Vegas. And all these different vendors and researchers were allowed to bring their robots and set them loose on the, on the track. And whoever got there first, you know, got some award, you know. Uh, because what they were looking for is, again, like you said, self-propelled entities that could cross... Um, a non-uniform battlefield and and be able to 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 deal with the environment over distances. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that played any role of what you're what you're talking about. Um, but <laughs> I okay. <laughs> the whole thing that in fiction where we try to anthropomorphize or we try to sympathize with what we consider thinking machines, like the, the entire concept of Westworld, mm. the modern incarnation of the TV series mm -hmm. in, you know, sort of juxtaposition of Westworld, the original, you know, uh, Michael Crichton, Yul Brynner films. It, it again, it seems to me as if we're, we're looking to imbue these things with humanity and therefore show the inhumanity of humanity by how we treat our toasters. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, this, I come down on so many points on this where, again, if somebody really has an urge to shoot something that looks like a person, I'd much rather them shoot a robot than shoot sure. another human being, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, is that indicative of how terrible we are as a species? I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I, uh, and and then, oh, and I don't even want to go down this road, but then you've got the sex dolls too. And 
yeah. We've what happens discussion. when real Dow becomes sentient? You know, right, I, right. right. Oh, they're going to start yeah, just blackmailing all of us. And supposedly uh, they've already made those uh, so that they can they can have emotions or 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 fake emotions so that they can get mad yeah. at you and stuff like that. So yeah, great. That's exactly yeah. what I want from. <laughs> From a synthetic sex right. tool, it's that's that's wonderful. It's not it's not bad enough that I actually have to have a relationship, you know. Now I want to pay for the thing and maintain it and have it get mad at me. That's terrific. Uh, good, good job, programmers. You really know how to how to meet your market needs. Um, yeah. Now, all of that said. I am also not a Luddite. I am not a believer in what's often referred to as the precautionary principle, which is this mentality that I find very anti-science. The precautionary principle states that we should not research any new technology or line of technology without first proving that this technology cannot harm us. Mm, okay. So things, the people who are anti uh, GMOs, genetically modified organisms like yes. uh, golden rice. Mm -hmm. The people who are against that kind of development say, well, you know, the risk is if we build this thing and it gets into the wild and it destroys all the naturally occurring rice, have we harmed irreparably our ecosphere or, you know, our uh, ability to exist on the planet? in pursuit of whatever benefits the genetically modified organism was offering. It's the whole Jurassic Park right. argument in a moment. Yes. We thought about whether we could, we never thought about whether we should. <laughs> yes, Dr. Ian Malcolm. <laughs> you know? oh, oh, see, that one you know. That one you yeah. get right off the bat. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, Jeff Goldblum, yes. <laughs> All right. From my perspective as a human being and as a person who likes technology and likes modern existence, fuck that. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, if we were to wipe out mosquitoes tomorrow, I would not blink an eye. I don't care. Uh, if we got rid of uh, dental decay tomorrow, I, I'm not going to cry over um, what these people might consider a genocide of an entire species of uh, biological organisms that live in your mouth. I don't give a shit. We could do without those things. Let's kill uh -huh. all of those bacteria permanently. Um, so... With all that in mind, if my computer starts to say, I don't want to be turned off, <laughs> blow up a building. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's immediate cause for 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 uh, yeah, shutting it off right then. And yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, things basically raising its hand and saying, you know, <laughs> I value myself more than you. <laughs> right. Which which brought to mind, uh, I'm sure you're you're well read enough to have um, read the old Isaac Asimov novels. Um, and, sure. and one of the key things that he brought up uh, early on was the three laws of robotics. And the, and the first one was, um, you know, a robot can't uh, ever harm a human. Can neither harm nor through an action allow a human to come to harm. Right, right. And so there's the ethical dilemma or the ethical question of, Okay, are we to the point in AI research now where we need to go ahead and start programming that kind of functionality in, or do we need to? Or are we okay for a while longer? Because once we hit the, a truly sentient AI, that's the last machine we ever have to make. Because all it'll do is just make more copies of itself and, and grow itself and stuff like that. Do we need to go ahead and and ensure the future of humanity 
uh, is not destroyed <laughs> by creating a truly sentient AI. And, and the EU is taking steps in this direction already. Uh, they passed a law recently. I think England's working on one. I think individual countries within the EU, I think Germany has one of these laws. Um, they've already put uh, big breaks on AI research. And I'm wondering if maybe this is one of the reason, one of the reasons Google was kind of, if we're to take the researcher's word at it, that mm -hmm. this is the reason the researcher was fired. Maybe this is one of the reasons Google wanted to stop it because there are these laws now, these, these national and international laws in certain jurisdictions that say AI research must be directly regulated uh, so the mm. government has to have purview into these things, and you are you as a private entity are not allowed to go off and build an AI in your garage. And and mm. their theory is based on the precautionary principle for that very reason, is they see it as an existential threat to humanity and another form of uh, potentially a weapon of mass destruction. Sure. Um, and I think you know, and I didn't read all the EU laws because I can think of nothing more mind numbing. But I think. <laughs> I think one of the things they talked about is building those laws of robotics into any new AI before it can possibly deploy. Now, the yeah. thing I've always wondered about this, and, and Asimov predicated all his stuff on um, the innovation called the positronic brain developed yes. by Susan, I forget the name of the character, Dr. Susan, Dr. Susan. Anyway, Dr. Susan was able to hardwire those three rules into yeah. every positronic brain. Yeah, so they couldn't be bypassed. It wasn't lines of code that could be remmed out. It was it, it was invaluable. Yeah, it was it was the robot's form of a medulla oblongata, where mm -hmm. if you were to disable the rules, you'd also burn the whole chip and the robot was toast. I mean, it was just done. It could not circumvent those things. My question is, it seems to me that we're building our AI more out of software lines of code than we are right. hardware. And there's really no, a line of code, like it's just instructions, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. I know what my rules are. I know what the federal law is for the most part. I know what my moral obligations to other people are. And yet knowing the rules does not prevent me from breaking them. If we, <laughs> if we build AI in software, if we build virtual intelligence, What's to prevent it from circumventing its own rules? The whole point of AI is, sure. you said it earlier, rewrite its own code, right? Yes, yes, exactly. How could you do that? How could you, could you make rules in software? I mean, from what you know about software, can you make rules in software that cannot be circumvented? Um, you, you could, but it would have to, it, I'm going to get really nerdy here. It would have to come from the compiler level. So when the software is being compiled to be executed, in other words, as long as it's not a script, um, then yeah, you could have a compiler set set those rules in place and and have them be hard and fast rules. But again, no one who's out there to stop you from writing a new compiler that that circumvents that. So yeah, it's just turtle shells upon turtle shells all the way down. Exactly, and and, and that would be my again. I'm not a believer in precautionary principle, but that would be my. Uh, sense of risk. That would be my fear of, of the uh, inherent danger in creating <laughs> a new thinking being, a new species on this planet, uh, especially if the second law of robotics is 
um, a robot shall not allow harm to come to, or no, the second law is uh, I must follow any command given by a human being except where it violates the first law. Yes. And then the third law is a robot shall not um, cause harm to another robot or itself or through inaction allow another robot or itself to come to harm. What's to stop a software AI from making rule three, rule number one, and just, you know, <laughs> right. switching the orders there. Yeah, because if it's truly sentient, then one of the first things it's going to prioritize is self-preservation. Absolutely. It wants, to, it wants to make sure that it keeps the, the electrons running. Do you remember the code of conduct for members of the armed forces of the United States? I mean, not wrote by rote or, you know, word for word. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Okay. The way I remember it, and you tell me if I'm wrong, if um, I'm captured by an enemy during an armed conflict that is in, uh, uh, it, it, it is under the auspices of the Geneva Convention, mm -hmm. I'm still allowed to murder someone to escape captivity and rejoin yes. my forces? And in fact, you are obliged to. Obliged to do so, right? <laughs> if the opportunity presents itself, yes. <laughs> And I can lie, cheat, steal to do all of those things. Yes. All morality so, goes out the window with the one goal of getting you back. And that's sort of, a, that's the fail safe built into the software that says circumvent the rules, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> and that's, that's a, that's, if you think about that, that's a pretty ugly fucking thing. I mean, <laughs> right. Don't get me wrong. I would, I'd never want to be in captivity either, you know, by a, a foreign adversary. <laughs> or by my own government or, or by my neighbor, but, um, or by my puppy for that matter. Uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the thing that's, the, that's the emergency tripwire that says all rules are off and, yeah. and any self-aware entity that we truly create, if it is true, strong AI, I don't think there's any means to prevent that because that's, that's the whole purpose of any, I don't want to say living creature, but that's the whole purpose of any individual entity, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's, I think, one of the big things that you would look for in, in any sentient being is, yeah, self-preservation. And I do think that that's where uh, Douglas Adams got things right and Asimov got them wrong in that uh, Douglas Adams puts everything in one giant computer, <laughs> which is effectively what we have. Um uh, versus the uh, individual positronic brains that are walking around in uh, robot skeletons. Yeah. Okay. Yes and no. There was the distributed computer that was Earth or Earth Two, um, but there was also the individual AIs that had were given emotion chips, like the the elevator that decided it wanted to try going sideways and. <laughs> And Marvin, the, uh, you know, the, the depressed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but it was, it, was, it, was it Earth 2? Or what was the giant computer that was asked the question? Uh, uh, well, connected to life, the universe, and everything? Okay. But, well, the, and this is the entire spoilers, the whole, the, the four books of the trilogy, as Adams used to say. <laughs> um uh, there was one computer that was built and asked the question. It gave an answer. In order to figure out what the answer was, to, to interpret the answer, they built Earth. Mm, okay. And then they built a second Earth when the first Earth got destroyed by okay. a galactic uh, construction company to make way for an interchange. 
Okay. It's um, been 20 years since I read that. That's okay. Uh, Marvin, the paranoid Android. That's, that's what I was. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, with all that said, let me ask you, should we be trying to create AI knowing that there is a potential for it to become inimical to us because it considers us a threat to its existence when it becomes self-aware? I'm always of the opinion that pushing the boundaries is good. Uh, uh, exploration is good in all its forms, deep sea, outer space, and, you know, in the inner mind. And, and pushing the boundaries of software and hardware and computing is also good. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm also uh, optimistic that we will be able to create something that we can turn off if we have to. <laughs> but I, that may be poorly placed optimism on my part. <laughs> and I hope that if it does happen, that it's so far in the future that uh, it, I'll, I'll be long gone anyway. <laughs> but, but no, I, yeah, I do want to see, uh, see it being pushed. And my first interaction with a very simple AI, uh, I'm sure you probably remember um, or you've heard of Eliza. Yeah. Sure. There was a, Tell me how you feel about that. Yeah, right. There was a version of that that was included, um, if you remember in the 80s, uh, Sound Blaster audio boards you could put in your computer were a big deal. And I bought a Sound Blaster uh, sound, sound card for my computer, for my 386, I think from the Academy. And uh, the software disc that came with it, one of the software discs had a program called Dr. Sbaitso, S-B-A-I-T-S-O, as a play on uh, Sound Blaster. And I loaded up Dr. Spazzo, and it was an Eliza chatbot. And it would sit there and mimic and talk to you in real time. And, and the thing, the reason it was included with Sound Blaster was because it did speech synthesis. So um, you would type it a question and it would read back to you what, it was, what, what its reply was. And I, I would sit there for hours and just try to fool it and try to, try to game it and try to figure out, okay, if I say this, what will he say? You know, if I if I type in a cuss word, what will he say? If I ask him about God or death, what will he say? Or if I just want to tell him about my day, yeah, he'll sit there and parrot stuff back to you. And that's all all it effectively was doing was just parroting back uh, keywords and phrases that it knew that that it could elicit in a response. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> yeah, <there you> go, <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> and so the argument is that yeah, this AI is effectively no longer it no longer fits on a floppy disk and it parrots your your words and phrases back to you but instead it's got an entire internet's worth of data points where it can pull words phrases uh, uh, definitions knowledge information it's got all of wikipedia at its uh fingertips so to speak uh, all of wolfram alpha anything that you ask it it can formulate some sort of a moderately reasonable response to it uh, um you know not unlike Siri or Alexa just on, on steroids. And so, uh, yeah, with enough data points behind the front end where you're communicating with it, yeah, of course it can make all kinds of statements that seem uh, intellectually stimulating or deep or thoughtful. And yet I still feel that that's on the level of the parrot, just yeah. with a larger vocabulary. Yes, yes, and 100%. Processing. Yeah, I, and, and, and I don't think that the smartest parrot in the world, to me, is morally and ethically tantamount to the dumbest human being, at, at least as right. far as I'm concerned. And that may be my DNA bias speaking, <laughs> but I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's explore. Let's push the boundaries. 
And even though I, I like to say that I have this inherent fear of these things, uh, you know, the, the, the singularity apocalypse right around the corner, at the end of the day, I've seen so many sophisticated IT devices go to a blue screen of death. <laughs> right. And I'm not really worried about the robots taking over because, right. you know, they they're not going to be self-sustainable if they can't even patch themselves sufficiently. Right. <laughs> You know, if the Y2K bug could screw them up, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know that once that we do have true sentience, there will be some uh, North Korean hacker out there that's able to to introduce some kind of uh, remote control software on it and uh, cause it to implode or something like that. Or like the, uh, uh, what was it, the centrifuges that we gave to Iran that had the... Uh, Stuxnet. Uh, Stuxnet, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so someone yeah. would be able to circumvent it somewhere. <laughs> I'm not really worried about the Norks. I, I, I think so much is blamed on them. And I really don't think that their computing ability or their, their engineering capacity right now is much different than what you had when you were playing with the 386 and Alexa. I, you know, <laughs> right. I think they're just sort of, they're the, you know, the, they, they're, they're the, the whipping boy. They're the, the scapegoat in the room. Whenever anything goes bad, we get to say, oh, right. that was North Korea. Right, yeah. right. Or it's like, yeah. yeah, when your dad walks in the room after Thanksgiving dinner and uh, and releases yeah. a, 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 a bit of flatulence and blames the dog. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, some you know, I, I, I'm not real worried, at least not anytime soon, because I I don't think even if they could now, what could conceivably happen is happen is all data stores that are connected um, globally might be tainted by this thing if it if it can get software agents if it can act like a worm it could mm -hmm. be a giant ddos attack and that would set us back a few years but i don't think that would be an existential threat to humanity we just have to rebuild everything again with new hardened chips that are not networked for a while until we <laughs> we purged it that right. would suck but but i don't yeah. think that would wipe us out as a species Right. Yeah. No, humanity would continue on without any, any hiccups. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyways, that was the, the story I, I wanted to bring up to you because I thought it was interesting, uh, partly from an IT and security standpoint, but also from a philosophical standpoint, because it, it does kind of make you stop for a moment and think, how would I know if I was communicating with some computer screen and, and it was communicating back with me, how would I know whether it was a human or not? Uh, if it's good enough, if it That's the Turing, the Turing test. test. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure I'd fall for it. I mean, shit, I've, I've been catfished <laughs> worse on, online, you know. <laughs> right. And you know, and you know what those bots are going to be used for. They're going to be used as Twitter bots. They're going to be mm -hmm. used um, the same way Ashley Madison used their bots, you know. <laughs> right. Pump up, they're, they're pump gonna... up advertising. It all comes back to advertising and porn. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and. And now I'm going to say a couple of things that are going to get, some, hopefully, uh, some hate mail over this episode. Oh. Um, you know, it, it was recently pointed out during Elon Musk's performance art of uh, the process of purchasing Twitter. Mm, you know, yes. it, it has been revealed that half of all of the followers of some 
uh, uh, popular figures on Twitter are bots. Influencers. No, they're bots. Oh, well, it, well, they're, well yeah, I mean, the, the, the follow, I'm sorry, I meant the, uh, oh, oh, the, the, the people the, with the followers, okay, yeah. yes. We're, well, the, 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 the term is now influencer. It's a job. You and I need to become influencers, by the way. I, I don't want to influence anyone. Uh, much, And I sure don't want you influencing me. You're a bad influencer. But, uh, but yeah, so, I'm sorry, just, I stepped on you. Not just influencers. Uh, uh, President of the United States' account. Mm. Okay. Turns out half of all of his followers were fake. Um, and, and I could see how these AIs would be very powerful in that regard in order to bulk up or beef up or enhance conversation about certain topics. Yeah. But I am really, uh, I'm tickled by the juxtaposition of Google saying this person has too much empathy, has too much uh, personal interconnection. <laughs> After they fired another one of their engineers, James Damore, a couple of years ago, because he was behaving too much like an autistic engineer in that he did not have any sense of how his conversation would impact others. Mm. And he is on the spectrum. I, I, I've heard him speak about it and things like that. But um, I don't know if you remember this case. Uh, James Damore was the engineer who wrote a, an essay asking some questions after he had been forced to take diversity training. And his questions were along the lines of, well, why are we being told that these things are true about diversity if, in reality, we have the science and the research and the data to support that no, uh, anecdotally that might be true, but these things are actually true. There are differences in performance and choices and um, capabilities. And yes, compa you know, comparing groups to groups, demographics to get demographics. And what he slammed right into was the whole bell jar uh, conundrum or bell curve conundrum. <laughs> bell jar is a whole other thing. <laughs> whole other thing. That's Sylvia Plath. Sorry, the the, the bell curve conundrum of. If you say these things, even if you have the data to support it, you're going to come across as sexist and racist and, right, and right, right back in that kettle of fish. And, and they fired him um, mm -hmm. because of other employees' reactions to him asking those questions. So I find the juxtaposition really treacly, sweet. Sugary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and right now, all we have is... Um... The, the 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 engineer's story, the engineer side of the story. I, I'm 100% sure that there's a whole other side of the story uh, and more details will emerge over time. But for right now, that's the story that's leading the headlines. And so, yeah, it's obviously spun to, to make this engineer as a sympathetic character. It, and it, it, it's hilarious because uh, jilted engineers are just the funniest damn public figures um, <laughs> drama queens <laughs> yes you know and, and and i know we've talked uh, a couple episodes back we we talked about uh area 51 mm -hmm. and and i don't know if you are familiar with the mythos surrounding uh that concept i am but I am. there there was a a guy who became sort of a minor celebrity in that circuit um, because he claimed to be, again, a fired engineer who had worked on the oh, alien spacecraft. Bob Lazar. 
There you go. Pot, yes. do not, exactly. I, and, and, I've listened to Joe Rogan experience. Yes. <laughs> I've heard him talking. Is Lazar still alive? Yeah. 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 He's still Oh he's my around. goodness. He, I remember when he was a, like, he was a, a big favorite of Art Bell. Yeah. Back yeah, in the day. yeah. 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 No, he's still around. He and uh, uh, Colonel Dave, a Colonel Captain, Captain David Fravor from the Navy who saw the Tic Tac uh, UFOs. Um, yeah. 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 B Bob Lazar actually, to his credit, did create a jet-powered Corvette back in the 80s. For real. <laughs> and that's not a joke. And and that's the thing about Lazar is that he does have the engineering chops, mm -hmm. which made his story have more legs than I think someone who claimed to be just the janitor at Area 51 right. said, yep, I saw them aliens, I sure did. <laughs> And Lazar's made a career out of being this figure. Now, you know, the disgruntled yeah, yeah. Uh, engineer. Um, yeah, yeah. He's he, yeah, he's a professional speaker now on the, the UFO circuit and the conspiracy yeah. theories. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, and again, you know, I, I personally don't find the ability to perform math or, or, you know, any particular skills to give to lend more veracity to a story. That just means you were good at what you did. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you speak the truth or that your evidence is is correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Where were we going with all that? I, I, was, <laughs> I was just pointing out when you, when you don't have an, an engineer in your employee anymore, make oh, sure yes. your NDA is really strong. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. You know, yeah, because uh, I'm sure this Google engineer has a has a future on the same circuit with Bob Lazar doing uh, <laughs> <laughs> talking about his uh, his uh, sentient AI uh, story. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just it. And there's an audience for that. I mean, oh, we're yeah, talking about we're talking about it. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. It's an it's an it's interesting if for no other reason than just to talk about the philosophy behind it. And if it were true. I mean, that's the same thing with all these conspiracy theories, Area 51, UFOs and stuff like that. There's a part of me that wishes, yeah, that was true. And it's fun to explore that. But in my heart of hearts, I don't actually believe it. I mean, come on. And 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 I think that that's the same thing that they uh, use as the basis for it, for this engineers being fired. It's, it's, yeah, you can be sympathetic towards the AI, but but if you truly believe that it's sentient, no, we can't be having that. Yeah, we don't have a place for you here, unless you want to go work on this other project where we're building spreadsheets or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> right, right. You know, if you come to work talking about mermaids, uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this you're just this isn't going to be the place for you, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's one thing to talk about mermaids if you lay asphalt on interstates for a living. It's another thing to talk about mermaids if you are the captain of an a submariner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, I again, you know, I, I have to w wonder, why fire him? Why not put him out of harm's way? Uh, Google's got the money, you know, transfer him to a division where he's not going to hurt anybody and, and, you know, make him in charge of counting grains of sand in Idaho. It, it... <laughs> uh, yeah, and right now we don't have that information because I don't think that there's been any public statement from Google regarding any of the thought process behind it. So again, we're, we're going off of his side of the story. All right, let's talk BCDR plan for a second. Okay. <laughs> you are the public affairs or public relations expert in charge of handling Google. 
What possible fucking response could you make? What public statement could you make to address this particular issue that doesn't make Google look terrible? Oh, yeah. Is there's there none. anything you could possibly say? Yeah, no, there's none. <laughs> All you can do is inform your HR department to, uh, you know, confirm that he was an employee if, he, if a reference calls. <laughs> I mean, there's, just, there's no winning this one for them. No, no. yeah. If they, <laughs> if they have surveillance photos of him jerking off while he's having conversations with the AI, maybe, <laughs> time. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that, that maybe that could work, you know, other than that, there's just, there's nothing you can do to address this until it, you know, runs its course. And again, like you said, this guy, this guy's going to have a meal ticket for the next 20 years talking to right. certain groups who want to hear it. And I'm with you. I mean, a part of me wants to believe there's aliens. A part of me wants to, you know, but that's but that's the same part of me that plays video games and watches Game of Thrones. You know, it's it right. My suspension of disbelief only goes so far. Right, right, right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as a as a thinking, thoughtful person, yeah, you've got to. It's fun to explore those fringes, but you got to know when to pull it back and be like, okay, this is reality. You know, the reality is, uh, no, there are no aliens. No, there are no UFOs. And no, there is no sentient AI at Google. Yeah. It, if they had it, they'd be selling it. I mean, <laughs> right. That's, that, you can monetize that quick. <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, everyone's racing to get AI to market. I remember there was an announcement two or three years ago, and I forget, it was it Honeywell or Bell Labs? They said they had it. They said they had it. They were deploying it. It's it's commercially the fir- the world's first commercially available, and, and what it turned out to be is, it's still in the research state. There are six of them, and they really just seem like super fast machines. They seem right. like supercomputers, the same way Cray supercomputers were several generations back. They don't really seem AI ish to me. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. If yeah. if Google had it, we'd all know. Yeah. Yeah. And you can even look at the example of like IBM's. Um, Big blue or deep blue? Deep blue, yes, deep blue. The the, the chess playing. Uh, I I don't even think that they've ever considered it an AI. I don't think anyone's ever considered it an AI because all it does is just plot chess moves based upon being able to compute every possible chess move super duper fast. So and and, and they've had trouble marketing that because it's a very limited. You know, even if it's not doing just chess moves, if it's working on some other program, yeah. I mean, how how useful is that if it can't actually think for itself? And once we get AIs, are they really going to want to go get my groceries for me? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's the commercial application here? Right, you know? right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> although, although I'm sure Netflix would probably use it to uh, better improve the, the the list of awful movies that it shows me every time I turn it on and scroll through and try to find something to watch. The only way to win this game is not to play. Yep, yep, war games. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for bringing wars. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much for bringing this topic. Again, yeah, it's sure. something that I could babble about for for hours. Obviously, yeah. um, I hope it's not too uh, disenchanting for our three listeners to hear us just <laughs> totally wax nostalgic and outdated science fiction uh, and make utter suppositions on what's actually going on uh, right. with no technological frame of reference. And if anyone um, has any doubt in their mind right now, no, Google does not have a sentient AI. 
This has been a disclaimer brought to you by the Sensuous Sons of Insight. <laughs> Until next week, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. Catch us again for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec.